Hello everybody, welcome back to Hari Cuts. I'm Hari Stephen Kumar, and we're continuing on with the second episode of this pandemic season. Uh, it is still a global pandemic out there. It is Saturday, April 11th. I hope you are safe and healthy. Uh, many of you, like me, are probably quarantined, isolated, indoors, and wondering when is this thing going to end. And so... What I'm doing is relaunching this podcast, and every evening I want to bring you a little story. And the essay that I'm starting out this podcast with is, appropriately enough, the essay, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again, by David Foster Wallace, written in 1996. Uh, I introduced this essay back in episode one. You can go back and listen to that to get a, get the context. For now, let's just dive in. And what I'm going to do is add some commentary at the end. So please stay through to the end, uh, because that's also what we're all trying to do in this pandemic. Here we go. Without further ado, David Foster Wallace, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again, Section 2 of the essay. More specifically, from 11 to 18 March 1995, I voluntarily and for pay underwent a seven-night Caribbean parentheses, 7NC, cruise, on board the MV Zenith, footnote 3. And this is actually a little fun footnote to dive into because he's about to rename this, this ship. On board the MV Zenith, footnote 3. No wag could possibly resist mentally rechristening the ship, the MV Nader, the instant he saw the Zenith's silly name in the celebrity brochure. So indulge me on this, but the rechristening is nothing particular against the ship itself. Cruise on board the MV Nader, a 47,255-ton ship owned by Celebrity Cruises Incorporated, one of the over 20 cruise lines that currently operate out of South Florida. Footnote 4. I'm going to come back to that footnote later. The vessel and facilities were, from what I now understand of the industry standards, absolutely top hole. The food was superb. The service impeccable. The shore excursions and shipboard activities organized for maximal stimulation down to the tiniest detail. The ship was so clean and so white, it looked boiled. The Western Caribbean's blue varied between baby blanket and fluorescent, likewise the sky. Temperatures were uterine. The very sun itself seemed preset for our comfort. The crew-to-passenger ratio was 1.2 to 2. It was a luxury cruise, capital L, capital C. With a few minor niche adaptive variations, the 7NC luxury cruise is essentially generic. All of the mega lines offer the same basic product. This product is not a service or a set of services. It's not even so much a good time, though it quickly becomes clear that one of the big jobs of the cruise director and his staff is to keep reassuring everybody that everybody is having a good time. Um, it's more like a feeling, but it's also still a bona fide product. It's supposed to be produced in you, this feeling, a blend of relaxation and stimulation, 
stressless indulgence and frantic tourism. That special mix of servility and condescension that's marketed under configurations of the verb to pamper. Uh, this verb positively studs the Megaline's various brochures. For example, quote, as you've never been pampered before, unquote. Or, quote, to pamper yourself in our jacuzzis and saunas, unquote. Quote, let us pamper you, unquote. Or, quote, pamper yourself in the warm zephyrs of the Bahamas, unquote. The fact that contemporary adult Americans also tend to associate the word pamper with a certain other consumer product is not an accident, I don't think. And the connotation is not lost on the mass market megalines and their advertisers. And there's good reason for them to iterate the word and stress it. So that's the end of that section. It's a relatively short section. Uh, I want to go back and read that uh, fourth footnote. Uh, this footnote is right after he's talking about the Celebrity Cruises, how the Celebrity Cruises is one of the over 20 cruise lines that currently operate out of South Florida. Footnote four. Here it goes. There's also Windstar and Silver Sea, Tall Ship Adventures, and Windjammer Barefoot Cruises, but these Caribbean cruisers are wildly upscale and smaller. The 20-plus cruise lines I'm talking run the mega ships, the floating wedding cakes with occupancies in four figures and engine propellers the size of branch banks. Off the mega lines out of South Florida, there's Commodore, Costa, Majesty, Regal, Majesty, Majesty. Off the mega lines out of South Florida, there's Commodore, Costa, Majesty, Regal, Dolphin, Princess, Royal Caribbean, good old celebrity. There's Renaissance, Royal Cruise Line, Holland, Holland America, Cunard, Cunard Crown, Cunard Royal Viking. There's Norwegian Cruise Line, there's Crystal, there's Regency Cruises. There's the Walmart of the cruise industry, Carnival, which the other lines refer to sometimes as Carnivore. I don't recall which line the Love Boat Specific Princess was supposed to be with. I guess they're probably more like a California to Hawaii circuit ship, though I seem to recall them going all over the place. But now Princess Cruises has bought the name and uses poor old Gavin McLeod in full regalia in their TV ads. The 7NC Megaship Cruiser is a type, a genre of ship all its own, like the Destroyer. All the Megalines have more than one ship. The industry descends from those old patrician transatlantic deals where the opulence combined with actually getting some plates, e.g. the Titanic, Normandy, etc. The present Caribbean cruise market's various niches, singles, old people, theme, special interest, corporate, party, family, mass market, luxury, absurd luxury, grotesque luxury, these have all now been pretty much been carved and staked out and are competed for viciously. I heard off-the-record stuff about Carnival versus Princess that would singe your brows. 
megaships tend to be designed in America, built in Germany, registered out of Liberia or Monrovia. And they're both captained and owned, for the most part, by Scandinavians and Greeks, which is kind of interesting, since these are the same peoples who have dominated sea travel pretty much forever. Celebrity Cruises is owned by the Chandris Group. The big X on their three ships' smokestacks turns out not to be an X, but a Greek, but a Greek letter Chi for Chandris, a Greek shipping family so ancient and powerful they apparently regarded Onassis as a punk. So that's section two. Um, I want to say a little bit about why David Foster Wallace and why these these weird sections in here. Um, and this is in some ways my way of adding my own footnotes to, to David Foster Wallace's writing. Um, I, I, I used to teach David Foster Wallace when I was in academia, and I, I loved teaching his essays to college students because it was a way for them to really reimagine what an essay could be. So many of my students come into college really thinking and, and being trained in high school to write in a very strict formulaic kind of way. And I, I loved seeing their minds just kind of take a, a total you know, spin when they would read David Foster Wallace's writing, because in many ways, David Foster Wallace's essays break every single rule that students are normally taught about essays. For example, a lot, in a lot of his essays, there is no thesis sentence at the very beginning of the essay. It's not entirely clear, where is this guy going, and why is he taking such a long way around to get there? And some of you listening may be wondering, what is this guy doing talking about cruise ships? And there is a point, but it takes a little while. It takes a little patience to get there. And the journey to get there is so worth it. It's just so intense, uh, the way he gets us there. Um, why sections? It turns out David Foster Wallace, uh, in his essays, breaks them up in different ways. And in this particular essay, supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, he numbers his sections, um, but each section is a totally different length. Uh, this section, section two, is very short. It's only about half a page or so. Uh, the next section coming up tomorrow is much longer, section three. Um, and it, that's also something I, I enjoy about, about his writing. Now, the kinds of things that he gets into he, the challenge that, that's there to, to read him is there's all these interesting words that he brings in. Uh, for example, going from zenith to nadir. I had to actually go look up how to pronounce nadir, uh, as well as the Greek letter chi, and I knew that once upon a time, but uh, it, it's fun to, to, to have to try to tell uh, his writing out loud. Um, and the last note that I, that I want to uh, leave you with is this last footnote, footnote four, where he gets into all of these different names of all these different cruise ships out there. Now, why does he do that, apart from just being obsessive about his research? It turns out there's this, this is one of the qualities of David Foster Wallace's writing that makes me think about, about this time and this day, um, as we are in this global pandemic. Why I love teaching David Foster Wallace was to students is there's a way in which David Foster Wallace would take a look at something that most of us would just assume and take for granted, like, for example, going on a cruise. And there's a way in which he takes that and he just notices and questions and goes deeper 
and explores the connections that for most of us we wouldn't even think about. We would know vaguely, oh yeah, cruise ships, there's something wrong with them, there's something weird about them. Or some of us might actually like cruise ships. I've been on a cruise once, I kind of liked it. But then reading how he re-looks at these things that we think are just normal, it really makes you think differently. I, I will never go on a cruise again because of, of how he's written this. And it's down to something as simple as just that one little footnote where he goes, I'm going to rename this, this thing called the Zenith to the Nader. The Zenith, Zenith being meaning the peak or the pinnacle, the highest achievement possible. And, and of course, it's applied to this huge big ship, this luxury liner, supposed to be the Zenith, supposed to be the pinnacle of luxury. And David Foster Wallace takes one look at that and he just brings it down to the nadir, nadir meaning depth, the bottom most, the, the lowest of the low. And it turns out that's actually his thesis sentence right there. It's very hidden. In the rest of this essay, he's actually going to explore how these things called luxury cruises, that for most of us, we would imagine going on a luxury cruise to be, oh my God, one of the most like luxurious things you could do. You know, what a, what a privilege, what an awesome thing to go on this awesome cruise. He takes that and he goes way deep down and reveals, no, actually, these things, these cruises, these luxury cruises are not the pinnacle of human luxury. They're actually the nadir. They're, they're the depths, the lowest of, of our existence. Uh, and, and that's a journey that's, that, that we're going to see as it comes up. Because in these times, I wish David Foster Wallace was still alive and I wish... I wish I could I could imagine him. Uh, I, I wonder what he would think and what he would write about this these crazy times we find ourselves in. Not only are we facing a global pandemic, but we're facing a global pandemic in conditions where there is just so much absurdity and stupidity and inhumanity going on. But that's that's what we are all uh, going through together. I hope you're safe. So please follow me on Instagram. I'm on uh, Instagram at Hari Tell a Story. In the meantime, I will continue this tomorrow. Stay safe, stay home, stay healthy, stay human. Thank you.